Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. For the promise of your word that where sin abounds, grace superabounds. But for the grace of your kingdom, and by that grace, we are what we are. And Father, even as we sing, I was blind, but now I can see as we celebrate our spiritual sight. Our hearts are heavy for those whom the prince of this world has still blinded their eyes to keep them from acknowledging the truth and coming to Christ. We pray that you bless the witness that we've given this past week and that you would draw people to Christ through us. So, Father, now we pray that you would equip us with your word and that you would speak to our hearts. We pray that you would make your presence known through the words that I speak as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated for just a moment. Well, some passages like 2 Peter chapter 1 keep calling you to look, look back into the text. There are those key words that, that point backward. Uh, it continues to bring some cohesiveness to the message in this text. So I'm always hesitant to begin a sermon based on a text that starts with the word therefore because you need to know what came before that in order to understand what it is that he's saying now under the inspiration of God. And so we, we could back up uh, as far as verse 10 and talk about how we are to be diligent to make our calling and election sure because if we do these things, we will never stumble because there is an entrance supplied to us abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you'll notice verse 10 starts with the word therefore. And so that points us even further back to verse 8 and verse 9. Both of them begin with the word for, which is an abbreviated version of therefore. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. But it even backs up further, doesn't it? Because four points back to verses five through seven. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add your faith virtue to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. But if you notice, verse 5 starts with the word but, which means it's drawing us forward from what was said just prior to that. So it takes us all the way back to verses 3 and 4. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So what he is saying in summary is this. First of all, if you are a believer and you've placed your trust in Christ, or we could call ourselves a repenter who has turned from sin and turned to Christ and Christ alone for our salvation, if, if that's your spiritual condition, you are different than you were before. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus, and he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But then that next part tells us because you are different, keep being different. Keep adding to and growing and progressing as a believer. Be different because if you are in the process of becoming more and more sanctified or more and more set apart by God to be like Jesus, then then you will take on those characteristics that you're striving for. And he says in verse 8, that you will abound and you won't be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to know about Christ. We have to know Christ. And then he contrasts that with those who don't. In verse 9, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was purged from his own old sins. Just think about that word forgotten for a moment. He's saying to fail to grow as a believer, to fail to strive to add those characteristics and qualities in your life that are godly and like Christ, to fail to do that is a result of you being either short-sighted not able to see the distant, far picture of what Christ did for you, and you've even forgotten that you've been cleansed from your old sins. And so you begin at a new beginning point. You are a new creation, and from that point, you move forward in Christ. And because you are in Christ, and by the Holy Spirit, Christ is in you, then you are able to live this new life that he has given you. And so he warns us about forgetting. And then in the the verses we're going to look at today, verses 12 and following through verse 15, you're going to find repeatedly he uses the word remind. I, I remind you. I want to bring to your remembrance. I remind you. Now, as a parent, if you're a parent, have you ever said, do I need to repeat myself? And the child is probably thinking, no, but you probably will. I was with some some dear friends, and they were telling family stories, and they had named them. I love that. Um, I'll ask my daughters-in-law, have I told you this story? Yes, but go ahead. I know you want to tell it again. There's just something about wanting to bring to memory certain things. 
And so Peter, as a shepherd of people, seeking to draw them closer to Christ, he, he commits to them that he will remind them of that which they need to know. And he will remind them and remind them and remind them because he knows he will not always be there to do that. Have you ever thought if, if you no longer have your parents here on this earth, have you ever thought, I wish I could hear that one more time? Or I would love to, to ask this question because I know that they would have an answer. So Peter has that, that parental longing here as he shepherds people through this letter. And he is saying, because I know I will not last forever, but basically God's word will, I wanna remind you of that which matters. And so I want us to talk about today the importance of repetition in the spiritual life whether we're in our own walk, reminding ourselves daily by digging into the Word of God, or in worship, where you're being reminded of some things, or as parents to children, or people discipling others, whatever relationship this applies to that, we are in great need of reminding one another. And so let's look today at verses 12 through 15 of 2 Peter one. So he's given them the finish line in verse 11. And an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because that's the finish line, he says then in verse 12, therefore... I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the knowledge that you've already given us of Jesus. But Father, we know there is so much more to know so much more of him to learn and to experience. So Father, today I pray that you would remind us of the importance of retelling the story, re rehearing and rehearsing your activity. So Father, we pray that you would guide us through these verses today. And I pray that you would please speak through me because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So basically, God has inspired Peter early on in this passage uh, to tell us that to forget is to fall 
and to falter and to fail. We don't want to forget. So how do we remember? How do we remember that which is most important? How do we implant that in the lives of other people as God has called us to do? I remember as a young preacher, I was 17 years old when I started preaching and I would go to places where uh, predominantly there'd be senior adults that were there. And I would find myself as I uh, walked into that building, looking at those people thinking, what can I tell them that they don't already know? Well, then I, I saw the word remind in 2 Timothy, and I, I see it here, and I, I realized my job was not to give them anything completely new, but just to remind them of what God has said in his word and to reintroduce them to some truths perhaps that they had laid aside. And I remember how that, that set me free in those days to realize that, that part of my call in preaching was simply to give reminders of what the cross of Christ means for our salvation, of what the empty tomb has for us by empowering us and his ascension and him interceding for us, all those great truths about Christ. And by the way, as I speak of that, I'm reminded that dyeing your hair blue is not new. There were blue-headed ladies all over those churches that, that uh, just glowed, and, and they were the most intimidating. Because what do you say to an elderly person? What do you say to someone that's more advanced in the faith? Well, here Peter, not having that problem whatsoever, because he was one of the apostles who was introducing everything about Christ, he embraces his call to remind through repetition. So let's look at this passage and notice, first of all, repetition reinforces the truths of God's word. Repetition reinforces the truths of God's word. Verse 12 says, therefore, I will not be negligent. We don't want to be guilty of negligence in our walk with Christ or in our interaction with others. So he says, I would be negligent. I would fail. I would forfeit my position as a leader if I didn't do what I'm about to say I'm going to do. He says, I do not want to be negligent to remind you always of these things. He says, I, I will remind you and keep reminding you and reminding you and reminding you and reminding you of these things that are most important, and they all center on the person of Christ. And so repetition reinforces the truths of God's word. Then he recognizes toward the end of that verse, though you know them and are established in the present truth. He says, I'm, I'm not trying to urge you to come into the present truth, about Christ that's been made known to us. I know you're already planted in that and established in that. But to, to be planted in that is not the end goal. The end goal is to be fruitful and to grow from that and to produce the fruitfulness that 
he describes earlier there. And so he is saying that to repeatedly enter into the word of God is to reinforce the truths of God's word. Now, as I've been reading the Psalms of the day for uh, a number of years now, uh, doing those five Psalms or choosing one of those five, I'm, I'm getting pr- pretty familiar with the Psalms. Wouldn't it be horrible if I said, well, I think I've got the Psalms mastered. I don't think I ever need to read from the Psalms again. Well, no, the goal is not for us to master the word of God. It's for the word of God to master us. How much of the Psalms are uh, moving into my life and, and shaping who I am and, and what I'm doing? How many of those stories about Christ have I become so numb to that I, I need to have them re revitalized in my life and reinforced in my life and I I need to read it again and and haven't you noticed that you can read something time and time and time again those things that you have been established in but something leaps off the page and is fresh and new and so he says I I will constantly remind you of these things all of those things that precede verse 12 though you already know much of them and are established in the present truth. To be established means to be mentally settled. Now think about how mentally unsettling our circumstances are right now. Haven't you found yourself being mentally unsettled? I have. Uh, this rapid change of how we do things, the rapid change of, of what our culture is looking like, what's it going to morph into, just the, the potential changes, the present changes, all of that, that can bring a, a mental unsettledness. But haven't you found that when you, you come into the Word of God, there, there is this established mental settledness? Because the word of God doesn't change. The word of God does not need an upgrade. The word of God does not need any addition. The word of God stands complete and true. And I'm established in this truth. And therefore, I need to have that reinforced in my mind and in my heart. Because the, the compass of my life is not dependent upon the direction of our nation. It's, it's not dependent upon... Uh, anything else but who God is and what his word says about him and about me. And we are to be established and settled in that truth mentally and spiritually. And so he says, although you have settled in on this truth, I will constantly remind you. Now, here's what I would encourage you with today. When I've memorized scripture, whether it's a verse or a chapter or a book, and I've only memorized one book, don't get too impressed. But I've, I've learned it, then I've relearned it, and then I've overlearned it. I've, I've learned it, I've relearned it, then I've overlearned it. Why? Because here's my goal. I want to learn it until I know it 
without thinking about it. I want to learn it until I know it without thinking about it. That should be our goal with the Word of God. I want to know the Word in my mind. I want to know it, truly know it by experience in my life. And I want to so overlearn it and, and reinforce it that I know it without even having to think about it. You might say, well, that sounds crazy. Well, think about how some ladies cook. You ask them, so what's in this? Well, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Well, how much? Well, I just do it. I don't think about it. You ask someone who is skilled with their hands and doing handiwork, and you say, well, how did you do that? Well, I just did it. Well, how did you do it? Well, I, I did this and I did that. You know, I've heard wives say, my husband has more tools than he knows what to do with. Well, when I had one hammer, I had more tools than what I knew to do with. And so uh, I'm amazed with people that can just do things without thinking about it. That's what the word of God, it needs to be such a part of us and we should be so reinforced with the word of God by reminding ourselves and reading the pages, by reminding ourselves, by taking it in when it is preached. We should have that constant reminding so that we'll learn it, relearn it, and overlearn it. Let me give you an example in my life. There is a passage that has spared me much grief, and I would hope uh, our church much grief through the years whatever church I've pastored. In memorizing 2 Timothy, I can't tell you what verse this is. I kind of know what chapter it is, but, but because I, I memorized the entire book, things would jump out in my mind because I've overlearned it to where I can think of it without thinking about it, so to speak. But I might be in a tense situation and the words would jump into my heart, have nothing to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because, you know, they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, etc. Have nothing to do with foolish and stupid arguments. That, that has saved me so much grief in my life, not just in church, but in relationships. Because some people say potato, I say potato. Is that a foolish and stupid argument? Yes, they taste the same regardless of what you call them. So, so that's why you need to be reminded. Uh, people might say, well, I don't need to go to church. I know the Bible. No, you don't. Nobody knows the Bible. <laughs> Nobody completely masters the word. We always have that need to have it re, re, reminded to us or remembered to us, so to speak, in a literal sense. So repetition reinforces the truths of God's word. So that's what he says. Though you know them and are established in this present truth, I will always remind you lest I become negligent in what God has called me to do, he's saying. Then the second thing about repetition is re repetition reignites trust in God's word. It reignites trust in God's word. Look at verse 13. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off 
my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. So as he's writing this, can't you just picture Peter? The Lord's inspiring him and he's writing this or having it written. He says, therefore, I will not be negligent. I will remind you, yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Now, what does the word stir mean in the original language? It means to awake fully, to awake thoroughly, to animate, to bring to life, so to speak. It, it's to uh, bring out of a deep slumber, or to, to cause someone who is, is about to doze off to wake up again. It, it's like a, a, a stirring of a person's heart. To, to bring them awake and alive and aware in their spiritual walk with God. So he says, not only will I keep on doing it, but I have a reason for that, and that is to stir you up, to keep you awake, to help you to not fall asleep spiritually. And so, in essence, he's saying, every chance I get, every opportunity God gives me, I'm going to cry to you with the word of God, wake up, wake up to the truths of God's word. Now, we know of people who stir up the church, but the reality is this is a positive way to stir up the church, to stir up the church to be awake and alive to the truth of God's word. And so when the word of God is repetitively presented to your heart, one of the goals of that is that it might stir you to be awake and alive in the truth that is presented. And so it's my responsibility to challenge you to come alive in the truth that you already know. One of my goals every week is to learn something new. Either from a person in history, learn something about somebody I didn't know, a great leader in history in the church, or to um, explore something. But then a, another goal I have is to come alive to a truth in God's word that maybe has laid dormant in my heart, that it might come alive afresh, and that through meditation and prayer, the Holy Spirit might breathe freshly upon that and bring it alive. And as I prepare my messages, I want these past to come alive for me so that they'll come alive for us as we look at them together. So he says, my goal is to stir you up. And he has an urgency about that because he says it is right as long as I am in this tent. He, he's referring to his body. And here's something you need to realize. You are not a body with a spirit. You are a spirit living in a body. The part of you that is most alive, if you're a believer, is, is the inner man, the, the, the person of the spirit. That, will, that part of you will live for eternity. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but our bodies are wearing out. I mean, just Wednesday night, Nate is my witness. I was grimacing in pain when I shot a free throw because my my shoulder could not get it up to the rim from the free throw line. And so I've undergone therapy and uh, she just came out of that with her broken 
wrist and trying to reawaken that. And you see, we these bodies are going to wear out. They, they just aren't made to last forever. But when we come to Christ, we are a new creation. We are born again. That being of who we really are inside will live forever. One day I'll have a, a new body because I've experienced that new birth. And so he says, as long as I am in this tent, as long as I'm dwelling on this earth and I am living and breathing, I will remind you, he says, I will have an urgency to my very last breath. Then he says in verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus showed to me, he's perhaps referring to the fact that Jesus said, uh, you are going to die to him. Don't worry about other people. You are going to die. You need to live faithfully for me. And he says, I'll, I'll put this tent off shortly. Therefore, I long to stir you up. Why? Because he, he longs to ignite a trust in God's word that is fresh and vibrant in those to whom he is writing. Here's a reality that, that I live with every day. More of my life is behind me than ahead of me. That doesn't seem like that big a thing. But uh, somewhere along the way, I mean, I'll be 60 in September. It's kind of hard to even say. I, I, don't, I don't feel that old sometimes. Sometimes I feel older. But, but I live with the reality that less of my life is ahead of me than behind me. What am I going to do? Am I going to coast? Am I going to slow down? No, I, I have this desire to keep pushing forward, keep learning, keep growing, keep, keep pursuing Christ. And so, so there's, there's this growing urgency in my own heart that I, I sense when I read these words of, of Peter because I, I think about that when I'm talking to my sons. I think, oh, I can't wait to tell them this because I, I can't gamble on tomorrow. I, I need to pour my life into this, this situation, this person. I, I don't have time to waste. There's this urgency because as long as I'm in this tent and only God knows how long that will be, I will keep on reminding, Peter says, and that would be my desire as well, and I hope it's your desire. The Apostle Paul uses that same imagery of a, a tent that is temporary, but we await eternal dwelling with God. And because of that hope that we have, we want to reignite trust in God's word and those that God has put in our lives. So repetition reinforces the truth of God's word. It reignites trust in God's word. But thirdly and finally, repetition reinvests the truths of God's word. It reinvests the truths of God's word. Notice verse 15. Moreover, so he makes the statement in verse 12 that he's going to remind them, lest he be negligent. Verse 13, he, he takes it to a new level and he says, yes, I'm going to do that. 
And he then says in verse 15, moreover, he, he keeps taking it to a higher pitch, going to a different scale. He says, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease or departure. I will be careful. He says, moreover, I will be careful that you always have a reminder of these things. Now, this is good news. God's truth transcends us. I, I really don't care if you remember me. But don't forget the truth of God's word. I mean, if, if you remember that, you don't have to remember who said it. You don't remember, have to remember when they said it. But if it's the truth of God's word, it transcends all of us. And so what better can I reinvest in my world than the truth of God's word? And so that's what he's talking about. I'm, I'm reinvesting that because I know my demise is soon. I know that my departure is soon. And in light of that looming departure from this earth, I will do what I can to ensure that I have left a reminder in place. Let me ask you, did he do that? Yes, we're reading it right now, aren't we? We're reading it. Here's something I want you to contemplate. In the Old Testament, there were two types of prophets. Well, true prophets and false prophets, but I'm talking about two types of true prophets. There were those who were oral prophets that only spoke their prophecies, and there were those who were writing prophets. They wrote their prophecies. Can you tell me a lot about what Elijah said? You might be able to tell me a lot about what Isaiah said or Jeremiah because they, they wrote it. I'm not saying one's better than the other. God uses all kinds of people. But if, if you get serious about leaving lasting reminders, one of the best ways you can do that is write it down. Make it permanent. That's what the Apostle Peter did here. He, he wrote them saying, I'm going to do everything I can to give you these reminders. Well, you read First and Second Peter, you got... Uh, boatload of remembering to do because that is what he did with his life, not just verbally, but he wrote it down and he captured it under the inspiration of God. Now, you and I will never write anything on the level of Scripture. But just this past week, I was writing some things. I don't know if anybody will ever read them, but I'm writing them, hoping to leave them as a reminder to preachers in the future of some important things about prayer and preaching. I, I want to leave reminders everywhere I can, and, and that's what Peter's desire is, that repetition reinvests the truths of God's word. To remind means to, to recollect or to, to bring to one's memory. That's, that's a good goal. I would encourage you to read Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's 25 verses, well worth your attention. In there, it talks about the role of a parent teaching their children, reminding them, 
As it goes through there, it talks about you want to remember these things lest you forget when you come out of tough times, you'll forget the Lord. And so he says, you want to remember them. You want to remind your children of them when you walk, when you rise, when you're sitting in our culture, when you're driving, when you're uh, doing anything, you want to remind them of those truths. And then there's a promise to your children and to your grandchildren. Now think about this. When our boys were little, Deanna Deanna and I made a a decision together. We were going to invest in our children's spiritual life. Yes, we wanted them to grow physically. Yes, we wanted them to grow socially. Yes, we wanted them to grow mentally and academically. But ultimately, we wanted them to grow into a relationship with Christ. We wanted to grow spiritually. And so we, we made some commitments there that, that we focused on them. It also called for us to maintain a higher level of commitment, to grow faster than they were, to lead them. And so we made that investment in our children. And then our nest was empty. Deanne still cries sometimes because of that. Not because the boys are gone, but because I'm still there. But anyway, the nest was empty. Do you know what we're seeing? We weren't just investing in Jaron and Kobe. We were investing in Josiah and Maya, our grandchildren. Just the other day, we were FaceTiming with Josiah. And they mentioned Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And I said, Josiah, how does that song go? And he says, Zacchaeus was a man, a wee little man. He starts singing the Zacchaeus song. And I thought, dude, you're three. You're more spiritual than I am. I was thinking the Mickey Mouse song. I was really curious, what does the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse song say? But, but they have imparted that. And then, then we watch Kobe and, and Brittany, just like Jaron and Cassie pouring into Josiah, they're, they're pouring into Maya, even now talking to her about being made in the image of God, being a creation of God. We prayed for their spouses and, and we thought we were just making an investment in their lives and in their marriage, but, but no, God was helping us to invest in that, that next generation. So now what's happening? Well, Jaron and Kobe think, well, we're, we've joined together with our wives. We're making an investment in our children. No, you're making an investment in your grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. You see how that works? And so through those that we remind of these truths, we pour these truths into them, It goes to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. And there's that that reproduction that must happen. And it's very possible that you're here this morning because somebody made that investment. So that's what Peter's saying. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my deceit. 
Now, I've always prided myself on my memory. My pride is beginning to shrink. In the office the other day, I told Pam, she had said, it's amazing how you remember things you read. I said, yeah, but the reason I came walking through here is I'm looking for my book. I can't remember where I put my book. But there are some things that doesn't matter if you forget. But the one thing that God promises to help you remember is his word. You're making an eternal investment in your life and the lives of others. So there was a man named John Newton. We sang words to his song a moment ago that he's known for. Early in his life, John Newton was the son of a slave trader. He lived in England. And later, he became a slave himself. Then later, he became a captain of a slave ship. And he was involved in that, that horrible sin of human trafficking. It's reported that John Newton sometimes was so drunk and destitute that his crew, even though he was their captain, they regarded him no more than an animal. Once he fell overboard on a ship that he was the captain of, and his crew refused to drop a boat to save him. And the way they saved him is they threw harpoons at him until he grabbed one of the ropes. They didn't care if he lived or died. But then John Newton came to Christ. And he was set free from the bondage of his sin. He was called to be a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and maybe some of you didn't know, he was a preacher. Uh, he, I have volumes of his sermons, and, and he had great influence on the lives of people like Charles Spurgeon and others that became great preachers. And they would quote John Newton, but John Newton also wrote hymns. Many of the hymns in the uh, 18th century, 19th century were written by pastors. Those that were written by those who had theological training were very sound and, and focused on God's grace like the one we sang earlier. But Amazing Grace was not its original title. The original title of that song was Faith's Review and Expectation. Now, don't mark me a heretic, but I like that title better than Amazing Grace. Faith's Review and expectation. When you think about the words of that hymn, that's exactly what it does. It reviews what God has done in the past and it expects and anticipates what he will do in the future. Rather than reading the lyrics of that song to you, I want us to read them together just to walk through that hymn before I finish the story about John Newton who became a great reminder of truths. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. 
How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We had a great mind. He contemplated and meditated on the things of God, and the overflow of that was sermons and hymns like that. Toward the end of his life, he began to lose his memory. The reminder couldn't remember. They say John Newton would be preaching. He might forget what place he, where he was in the scripture or where he was in his sermon and someone would have to come up to the pulpit and, and help him find his place. Sometimes he would be self-conscious, discouraged, and frustrated, but in the midst of that, he would say this, two things I shall never forget. I am a great sinner, and he is a great Savior. I am a great sinner. He is a great Savior. His last words were these. I am still in the land of the dying. I shall be in the land of the living soon. You see, if you are faithful to seek to remind yourself and remind others the truths of God's word, God will be faithful to your final breath if you are faithful to your final breath. And no matter what you forget, he will bring his truth alive. And we are to reinforce that. We're to reignite that. We're to reinvest that so that the truth never, ever slows down, but always accelerates into that next generation. May God help us to do that. Let's pray together. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.